Hi there, and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories. Africa is the only region in the world where more women than men choose to be entrepreneurs. What this says to me is that the story of business in Africa is the story of the African business woman. So we're on a journey of discovery to find these women and tell their stories. On the show, we will hear from female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. They will share the highs and lows of their entrepreneurial journey and lessons learned along the way. Some of these women you may know and many you may not, but I assure you that all their stories are inspiring in their own right. My hope is that these stories will inspire you to reach for your dreams and leave a legacy for generations to come. It makes such a big difference to us if you can rate, review, and share our episodes. You can do this mainly on Apple Podcasts, and you can find us on all podcast platforms. If you're in Africa, Spotify is now available, so check us out there. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. On the show today, I'll be chatting with Bumi Olunloyo, the founder and creative director of Balamos Dance Company, also known as BDC Lagos in Nigeria. She's a choreographer, a body confidence coach, an actor-performer, and recently launched an at-leisure brand, Fit by Bumi. We talk about how her passion for dance led her away from a career in law how she has dealt with and overcome the stereotypes associated with professional dancing in Nigeria, going from being body shamed to being a body confidence coach, and of course, her new venture, Fit by Bumi. The hustle is real in Lagos, and Bumi is definitely a hustler. Let's get into it. Hi, Bumi. Welcome to African Business Stories. Thank you. I'm glad that we can finally do this. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really, really honored. Awesome. So, so I wanted to start, like, I always start from the beginning. Um, I know that you are, you're Nigerian. You're born and raised in Lagos. So, so if you could just share some, maybe some of your fondest childhood memories growing up in Lagos, that would be a good place to start. Okay. Well, um, yes, I was born in Lagos. I... I grew up in a very communal environment, so I would say I had a pretty decent childhood. You know, I did everything that kids should do, riding bicycles, roller skates, picnicking with my little friends. You know, we used to have this little club called Snickers Club, where the aim of the club was to wear your most colorful sneakers and bring sweets. (laughs) <laughs> to our picnic and eat and eat and eat as our sweets and make mud cakes and stuff like that. You know, climbing trees, going for walks, you know, just normal kid stuff. I did all of that. And, um, you know, you could be, they could be looking for you at home and find you at your neighbor's house, you know, pretty normal stuff. And um, I grew up with a single mom because my dad passed okay. away when I was two. And, you know, she, I have two older brothers as well. And she's, she's very, she's also naturally very artistic. So she was always very open to me singing, dancing, acting, doing all of that. I mean, we didn't know it was going to be a career because back then you had to pick like the serious jobs, like being a lawyer, being a doctor, being an engineer. So this really wasn't an option then, but you know, 
who knew where my path was going to lead me to because I did study mm. law. I, I'm a lawyer. But, um, yeah, but most importantly, you know, from my childhood, I really, I, I loved the freedom that we had and just being able to do things, you know, go out to play. Right now, kids are stuck indoors for all the right reasons. I mean, safety for one, mm-hmm. you know, they're stuck indoors, they're on their phones, laptops, tablets. I mean, we had to wait till like 7 p.m. for NTA to start, <laughs> or was it 4 p.m. for them to start you know, showing the programs and then there's news at seven. So our time with TV was even limited. We had lessons, we had all these things that we had to do, you know, but all in all, I think that I had a pretty decent childhood. Yeah. That's lovely. So you said you studied law. How did you come to decide to study law? I always wanted to be a lawyer. I actually always wanted to be a lawyer. So I went to Unilag. And while at the tail end of being in university, my friend took me to this salsa event, this salsa club thing, and I was blown away. I had seen things like this on TV, but I was, oh, I'm so sorry about the background noise. I was seeing things like this on TV, and I was seeing it live in Lagos. I was so in love with the movement, the freedom. So I started taking my classes. I never missed a class. Next thing I was teaching. Next thing I was performing. Next thing I was thinking about it as a career. You know, like, let me just quickly finish this law school. Maybe I'll be doing this on the side. You know, that was the plan, was to do dance on the side, being a lawyer. But then after law school, I tried to get a job. You know, I was also working part-time as a makeup artist while I was in university. And then the jobs were paying, like, really, 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 really tiny money. And but I calculated the money I was making from makeup, the money I was getting from performances. And I was like, you know what? I don't really want to kill myself and be doing this lawyer, 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 lawyer work. I mean, I could still practice. I could still create documents and do little, little things, but maybe not... Uh, litigation per se but it wasn't like closed I just thought okay Mm. dance thing did not work I would dust off my certificate and try again you know so you you studied law but did you actually go to law school and qualify as a lawyer I did I absolutely did so I'm called the Nigerian bar I did I mean I only did as far as my law office attachment to be honest with you I never particularly worked in a law firm in fact I actually wanted to but then when I just saw the hardship and I saw the the, the hard work (laughs) and you know the time and then you know I also realized that it wasn't going to give me any time to work on my dancing. So I was also worried about that. I know I shouldn't have been at that time, but I was worried about it. I wasn't really sure what the future had, but I really wanted to pursue the dance. And, you know, so here we are. I mean, this is, we're talking, what year was this? Oh my gosh, this must have been in 2003 or two, wow. 2003 or so. Yeah. So 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 dancing as a career wasn't mainstream. So so did you have any role models or you know people you could you you could look at and and be inspired and say these people have done this and so maybe I can build a career out of out of dancing. I mean, the first issue for me was people telling me that I could not do it. So I'm very logical in my thinking. I like to understand everything. 
Tell me why I shouldn't do this. Tell me what is so bad about it. Tell me who has ever died from dancing as a career. So the mm. more people keep telling me that I was going to fail, this wasn't the right thing to do, this wasn't the right society to do this, the more I kept saying, I am going to do this. I don't even really care about proving you right or wrong right now, mm. but I'm interested. Like, I want to know why you think it's so hard or it, sh it shouldn't be done or it's not the right thing to do. You know, like, so I wanted to be the role model for someone else who right. was not to do something that they could do because I said look I'm good at this thing I think I can be better I want to train myself so telling me that I can't even do something that I haven't even particularly started is like you know I'm very stubborn like that the more you keep saying don't do it the more I want to do it the more I'm going in deeper the more I will annoy you by winning at that thing hmm. so that was really what it was for me and most importantly my family was supportive so if your family is supporting hmm. you and then the other voices are, you know, are telling you no. At that point in time, that's all you really need. If the people that are your close, you know, your close setup are okay with it. My mom's own was finish school, get your right. certificate, do the right thing. At least have that one. And then afterwards, we can do whatever. But finish school. So that was all the support that I needed. I knew it was going to be a, a journey, but I mm. knew that it would be worth it. I just knew. Right. That's that's fantastic. So in tw 2007, you, you set up, you finally did set up your company, Baylor Moss yes. Dance Company. Uh, yes. So, so, so to talk to us about the name Baylor Moss, where, where that comes from. So I was literally just looking for a name to register. And, you know, you have to give them three options. So I was just looking for which name, which name, which name, which name is catchy, which name is interesting, which name talks about dance. And I really was obsessed with the whole Spanish-Cuban thing because of salsa. And the song just came up. By, um, I know it's a corny story, but honestly, the song just popped up. And then my family friend sitting next to me just goes, that's it. That's the name of your company, Bailambo's Dance Company. And I was like, okay, it sounds good. Sounds catchy, sounds cheeky, and I just ran with it. And sometimes I regret it because the names, the way people have twisted and turned that name <laughs> in this Nigeria is ridiculous. Belama, Belamos, Baila, Billy, just all sorts of crazy things. Bellissimo, like I heard all sorts of things. So now I just call it BDC Lagos. <laughs> PDC Lagos. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm guilt, guilty as well. I wasn't sure how to pronounce it myself. So so thank you for that. So BDC. So what was your vision when you were setting up the company? What did you, it, it'll be interesting to compare that to where you are today, but what was your initial vision when you were setting up the company? So there were a lot of people dancing in Lagos and they were dancing in normal spaces, you know, just like hard floors, cement, tiled floors. And I just wanted a space where people could call home, where dancers could call home, a space where dancers could, you know, be comfortable to do their craft without worrying about, you know, busting a toenail. I mean, you're going to bust a toenail anyway, but let it not be so dangerous, like you're dancing where there are dangerous things around you, like open windows. That was the space that was available. That was the space where they could do what they could do. But I wanted a place where dancers could really call a, a haven for them, you know. And I really wanted 
like a school, so to speak. not really a school setup, but a place where people could train dancers and non-dancers. You know, a very very conducive environment, a place that you could compare to any other space anywhere in the world. You know, I've always had that mindset that you know, not to particularly focus on Nigeria as my only market. I always try to see myself as a global uh, brand in terms of someone that can cater to everybody. So I wanted a space where also you walk in and you just want to dance. You just want to roll on the floor. You compare it to any other studio you've seen anywhere else in the world and you're comfortable. You, you know that, okay, this is serious business as well. So I wanted to invest in something like that. And um, this is my second studio now. We left the first studio because it was small. We start, I mean, it was a good space, but it was we kind of grew out of it. And now we're in a bigger mm. space in a better location. That's fantastic. So in terms of starting up and some of the, the challenges you face starting up, can you talk to us a little bit about financing? How did you fund it? Like, you know, how did you fund starting up the company? My money from being a makeup artist, taxing family members, you know, like, okay, well, I know you don't want to do this thing, but I'm doing it now. You don't want to see me on the street, so you've got to, you know, support me. And just a lot of um, dance performances that we were doing on the side. We're doing a lot of dance performances. And, you know, yeah, so basically from my immediate family, I did get a lot of support from my immediate family and from the little jobs and gigs that I was doing on the side. So I just kind of raised my funds that way. And of course, once it was established, we were providing more and more and more services that were helping us earn. So what, what services do you provide? So we provide studio rental. So you can rent out the studio for okay. movies, rehearsals, classes, photo shoots, you know, whatever it is that's basically artistic. Now we even do like small meetings and intimate events and stuff like that. And um, we also do corporate events. We do parties, we do performances, shows, mini productions, you know, entertainment at your events, costume production, fitness and wellness. You know, we have a sister company, which is Fit by Bumi, where we do active and at leisure wear. So it's all sort of combined. And yeah, so all of this is Mm. basically adding to the income, especially in these times that we are in now where if you can do 50 jobs at the same time, is best. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to talk about your, your active wear line. I thought that was really interesting. But, but still on the challenges that you, you face, Bumi. So in terms of stereotypes, you know, or stereotyping, what has your experience been? I mean, a woman in Lagos saying that she wants to pursue dance as a career. How, how, how has that been? So one of the first things I say is, it is difficult running a business in Lagos. Right. That's one. It's difficult running a business in Lagos as a woman. That's two. It is difficult running a business in Lagos as a Nigerian woman. I'll put it that way. There are two separate things, you know, just being a woman or being a Nigerian woman. It's just harder on you. It's just everything is against you. You know, then to be doing something that's unorthodox, like what I'm doing. So first and foremost, as a dancer, you're already stereotyped to be a prostitute, to be a, you know, low life. You can't find anything better to do. I mean, think those things, that those impressions are changing now because people like me, Kathy and other female dancers basically fought for right. our seat at the table. 
In fact, we built our own table right. as far as I'm concerned because we didn't give up on this. And, you know, being stereotyped like that, you go out, for, you can't even just walk in to get a loan or anything like that as a business because your business is not even considered a serious business. So that's already a problem. But if a guy goes and is talking about stuff like this, he's well-received because he's the one that is not a prostitute. Right. But like I said, those things are changing because when I start a conversation about dance and I also start by telling you that, oh, yes, I'm a lawyer as well, you know, the mood changes. Mm. So that has also really helped and boosted a lot of things because then people realize that, okay, she's smart or she's educated, you know, or she's really serious about this. And of course, I equipped myself. I did as many trainings as I could. I still train. I train every day. I'm learning. I still have coaches and teachers, you know, that I work with all the time to refine my skills because you have to be on top of your game. You can't keep relying on past glory and stuff like that. The world is changing. There are more people doing what we are doing now. So you always have to be at your best. Mm. So I think once you can remain consistent, once people can see that, you are serious about what you're doing. You're not relenting. The challenges are there, but you're fighting through it. Then they start to take you seriously. Once you build some type of structure for yourself, you know, like I have a studio, we have schedules, we have different types of clients that come to us from kids to senior citizens to top executives in top companies, you know. So we have all those kind of clients. And then you see us and you say, okay, you know what? This isn't just a dance company or this isn't just you can't just call her a dancer mm. you know i'm a choreographer my right. body confidence coach you know there are many things i do i'm a performer i also do theater so there are many many angles to me and what i do in terms of dance so it's even you can't even box mm. me you can't even Box. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so talk to us about this. I, you talked about being a body confidence coach, and I, I mean, I, I follow you on Instagram, and I, and I see some of the classes that you've you've put up on there. So, talk to us about how you got into body confidence and what value you, you've brought to, to women. Talk to us about that. So, as a dancer, I was also body shamed. Hmm. I was body shamed. You know, I was slightly thicker. I wasn't fat but I was slightly thicker than the average female dancer. The average female dancer in Nigeria is like, I call them pixies. They're like tiny and small and you can lift them with one hand. But I was always a girl that was slightly thick and no one really wanted to lift you. Maybe like one or two people were, there were like one or two particular people that I would always dance with because the other people didn't want to lift mm -hmm. me or dance with me because I was tall or too big or whatever the case may be. You know, and then I had this, wild conversation with someone that I was seeing at a particular point in time. And he literally just told me everything that was wrong with my body oh. from how my thighs were too thick and how I'm this and how I'm that. And for some weird reason that day, I literally just had a shift that I wasn't going to let that get to me. I was going to own wow. it. You know, I keep telling you that when you keep telling me that there's something wrong with something I'm doing, there's more reason why I'm going to own it. So I said I was going to own it. Yes, I have thick thighs. Yes, that's how, that's me. That's my body structure. Yes, I may walk in a slightly masculine manner. That's me. That's how I walk. You know, so he spoke about everything that was, in quotes, wrong with me. 
at that particular point in time. And I would never forget that. And it really changed something in me that evening. I don't always share that story, you know, but it, it really changed something in me that evening. And then I started owning it. Hmm. I started owning it. I started wearing eggs, anything I liked. I would, my shorts were getting shorter. And I realized that a lot of women were embracing it and they, they liked my confidence. And they would speak to me about how they lacked confidence or how they couldn't do something. So the class was basically born out of helping you be unapologetic about everything that you are, about your flaws, hmm. about your dark skin, about your light skin about your being skinny, about your being thick, your being fat, your being whatever it is that you are. It's basically owning it and loving yourself unconditionally, unapologetically. So the class is a, it's you dance in high heels and, you know, basically we give the impression of being really sexy. But the first thing I would tell you in the class is this is not for you. If you want to dance for anybody or in front of anybody, that's really your prerogative. But that's not really the aim of this class. The aim of the class is to do all of this in front of the mirror, in front of yourself, looking at yourself and just loving you as a woman. Because there's just so much. I mean, you know, you know the stories. There's so much going on with a lot of women, so much mental torture, so much mental abuse, so much, you know, just going on at work, at home with yourself, with your friends, you know, there's a lot that's going on. And sometimes you just need a place or somewhere or someone who will not judge you, but will actually help you feel better about your flaws. You know, I always say something funny that every time most women come to my class, they come to my class wearing leggings. Mm. And by the second class, they come in wearing shorts. <laughs> Every single time. It's the funniest thing. I'm like, okay, I'm loving this confidence, you know. So at that point, you just start to own everything. You start to own all your flaws. You start to own the scar on your face that you keep hiding with your bangs. You start to own your K-legs. You start to own it. It's yours. Hmm. You can't do anything about it. So, and the more you embrace yourself and embrace these things about you, the more people would be attracted to you. So when I started the class, I used to get weird messages and DMs like, oh, this class is so slutty, or you're encouraging this, you're encouraging bad behavior, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, why does everything feminine always have to be negative one way or the other? You know, why does it have to be negative? And for some reason, maybe because of the stories surrounding these classes and even the stories that women share with me and that I use to help them in these classes, it, people started embracing it and seeing beyond the sex. Right. Yes, sensuality, so those are all the elements of the class, but it's for you to see beyond that, it's to see the power yeah. within you, it's to see the, the confidence, you know, you can walk into a room with your shoulders laid properly, you're, you know, you're just, your posture is correct because you just don't really care about, you're not in that board meeting to discuss your physical look, you're there to talk about what you can, the value you can right. add. So that confidence always shows, you know, the moment you just believe in yourself and love yourself. So that's really the aim of that class. Wow, that's fantastic. That's really fantastic for me. And, and in terms of the theater work that you do, how did you get into theater work? I've always kind of done stage and plays from 
you know, being a kid, like my mom was actually my dance teacher in primary school. And I would always do plays and you find me in all those clubs and drama and all those things. And um, with, with theater, which I started with BAP Productions, uh, run by Mrs. Bolanley Austin Peters, I went there for to dance. It was I went to to do a particular dance in a particular play she was doing. I was just there as a dancer, not as an actress, not as anything. And eventually, from the dancing, you know, they'll throw one or two lines at you. You start doing it and you're like, okay, okay, okay. And then I also went in as a choreographer for uh, Fela and the Kalakuta Queens, which is where my big acting break, so to speak, started from. I went in as a choreographer, not as a dancer, wow. not as an actress. But one way or the other is, you know, I was present at the reading and I was meant to read a particular character and I liked her. And I was so scared that it would be taken away from me, you know, because... Like I said, I wasn't there to act. I was there to choreograph. But, you know, it was a challenge. And she challenged me. And, you know, then to make matters worse, it was now a, a, a character with a Ghanaian accent. Ah, another challenge again. I can't even speak my normal English. I have to learn another accent. So it was a huge challenge. And it was liberating. Because, when you know, when you're on stage and when you perform, theater is different from screen. You cannot make a mistake on stage mm. you can, there's no second take <laughs> if you mess up there you mess up right and whatever you receive back is what you receive you know so it was challenging I, I really like things that challenge me especially within my craft and yeah so now I'm doing a lot of theater I'm doing a lot of stage I absolutely love it I've already produced a few stage productions but they were mostly dance not really acting per se no particularly speaking lines but now I'm doing, you know, the roles and the big roles. So loving it, mm. loving it, loving it. Yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. So so just looking back, what would you say are some pivotal moments in building your business? What would you say are some pivotal moments that you've experienced? Breakthrough moments. So with the dance thing, the first big breakthrough moment I got, I think, was when I was featured on CNN Inside okay. Africa. And... Every single person that condemned me called me. Every single person. Parents of friends, friends in different parts of the world. It was like God was really trying to send a message because that particular interview, CNN showed it the entire week. And, you know, back then, you know, you walk into a bank and the TV screen is on CNN and you walk into a bank and you just see me on the screen. It was crazy. I was everywhere. And everyone was just like, wow, Bumi, you really took this dance thing seriously. So that was a major shift in my career. People now really wanted to, in quotes, associate with me again. You know, I was serious. I wasn't just dancing. I actually had a studio. I was actually doing exactly what I said I was going to do. I was trained. I was training people. So that was a major, major, major shift for me and um you know just getting more referrals getting more jobs expanding my network in terms of my creativity you know having more conversations with a lot more media people getting to know what we're doing how we're doing it so that was like my major 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 mm. shift 
you know. And of course, you know, moving from one small studio to a, a bigger one, that was a major shift for me as well. You know, it was, it, hmm. you know, elevation. And um, because, you know, when you move, I take a huge step like that from one location to another. That's some serious yeah. elevation, you yeah. know. So, yeah, those are major pivotal points. So in the midst of all that success, we've had COVID in, over the last year. And I wonder how COVID has impacted your, your business. COVID gave us a technical knockout. It literally just blew us out of the water and left us nowhere to dry. In fact, like COVID was, I mean, what we do is contact. It's contact sport. You're in contact with people. You're touching, feeling in each other's space, breathing space, you know, a lot of that. And we, I couldn't work for seven months. I was out of work for seven months. I tried wow. the virtual classes. Honestly, I don't like it because I'm more of a connection kind of person, you know, especially you have today, if it's not a network problem, tomorrow it is, you know, I can't really hear you. Oh, you sound fine. It was just too much. I didn't really like it. I do it. I still do it, but... That was what we were left with at that point in time because we were so desperate to keep our jobs, if that made any sense. You know, we're so desperate to find a solution to what was happening in terms of earning a living. You know, we're so desperate to do that. And it took a a lot. It, It really, really, really just helped us realize, okay, definitely there has to be another form of income that is not this. Because if this happens again... We cannot be stuck in this situation. A lot of dancers are still suffering. A lot of dancers are still out of work, you know, because when you don't have concerts, you have, we have our seasons. We have our seasons where we are majorly busy. I mean, we have our, our stage productions that go on for weeks. None of that. We have concerts that go on for the entire Christmas, New Year. None of that. We have all this job, all this work that is your, okay, is your, is your house rent. Let me put it that way. You know that your house rent or your office rent is coming from these particular jobs and suddenly everything is taken away from you and there's nothing you can do about it. So it was it was tough. It was tough. It was a lot of depression, anxiety, you know. Yeah. So how did you deal with that, Bumi? How did you two two things? How did you how did you keep your business afloat and how did you deal with the, the mental impact of of what was going on? Honestly, I don't even know if I dealt with it or if I've dealt with it. I think I've just managed it because you know, you also feel bad that you can't provide work for people that you provide work for. You know, they're looking onto you and there's nothing you can do because you're you're barely able to provide for yourself at that point in time. You don't know where your next income is coming from. And it, 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 it can be really heartbreaking. Even now, yes, things are changing and we're kind of getting back to normal in terms of work, but we're not yet back to normal in terms of stage productions and concerts and big shows like that that bring in the bigger incomes. But, you know, it was... um. It was very, like I said, I, I'm not even sure. It's some, I think it's something that I've learned to manage because I always say that I have the utmost ability of picking myself up every time I fall. So I think it's just that mental psyche because it's still we're still suffering the consequences of that. We're still not fully 100%. I still can't 
provide work for all the people I normally would. I still can't have a full dance class. I have to have a minimum of like six to eight people in a class where I would normally have 15 to 20, you know, but my bills are not going away. Hmm. My bills are still staring at me, but the income is not doubling up with the bills that need to be paid. You know, you still need to buy electricity. You still need to buy water. Those things are not going to change because your quantity of clientele is, you know what I mean? So it's basically dealing. But then again, that's how, that was what really fired me on to start Fit by Pumi. Because I knew that I I needed to provide something that people needed. That was going to be the most sustainable form of business at this point in time. You needed to provide a service or a product that people actually needed. So everyone is health conscious now. Everyone, okay, once it's either gaining weight or losing weight. It's something that I had already done, but I was selling products. Like I would sell like Adidas products or Nike products. I was selling other brands, but I wasn't making my own. So I thought, you know what? Let me just start small. Let me see how it goes. Let me see what happens. Let me see how it will be received you know, and um, yeah, that that in its own is a story. Honestly, that that's a story on its own. You know, because I I was so I was I was like, no, it has to be like you have to put my leggings next to Nike or Adidas and say it feels exactly the same. Like it's the same quality. That was what I was going for. But ah, I mean, I'm there. I, I, I'll, I'll beat my chest and tell you I'm there, but okay. Fantastic. I suffered. <laughs> I suffered. <laughs> so tell us a bit about, I know you say it's a, it's, a, it's a story in itself, but just tell us if you can share just a little bit about Fit by Bumi and some of the products that you have out there and um, how it's doing. Okay. So Fit by Bumi, like I said, was born out of a need. I, I felt like it was something people needed because you have I have a lot of clients that only buy fitness wear when they travel, you know, or have to order online. And I wanted to have something like that here. And it's it's basically an active and athleisure clothing line. So it's not just gym wear. It's also casual stuff or gym stuff you can wear to brunch or whatever it is, you know, as your everyday lounge wear and stuff like that. And I see a lot of people selling it. But I, I really wanted mine to stand out. I want, like I said, I wanted mine to be compared to the world's best, even if I was going to start small. And I was very, very interested in fabric and how it felt on your skin because my mom, my mom is allergic to everything. My mom is allergic to coconut oil. I'm like, how is anybody allergic to coconut oil? My mom is allergic wow. to coconut oil. So her skin is super sensitive. So there are certain fabrics she can wear and literally break out in hives. Because maybe the fabric is, I don't know, maybe whatever quality the fabric is. So that was very important to me that whatever I got had to be something that was not going to, was going to be very, very good for anybody's skin. Like every, my mom would wear it because my mom is like my test. She's like my litmus test. If she's okay with it, then we can sell it. You know, she's that sensitive. And then I wanted something that every woman with everybody type could fit in, you know, it would fit you. You would look good in it. Even if you're skinny or you're a size 20, you know, that was the aim as well, mm. to fit you, whatever your size, you know. So we're still working on, on the sizes. We're still working on taking the sizes up. But that is the end goal, is for it to fit every woman 
everybody type. So, you know, I went to different manufacturers, the ones that will manufacture rubbish for you, your money, your dollars will enter those being mm-hmm. some of the countries, the language barrier is another problem. You're saying black, they're saying gray, you're saying white, you're saying off-white, they say, you know, a lot of sleepless nights, you know, a lot of, a lot of loss, you know, money loss. You know, I, I tried to produce here. You know, I tried to use some tailors. It was a disaster. Fabric money gone to trash. I mean, we're in a pandemic for crying out loud. We're in a recession and I'm still wasting money on production. You know, so it was a roller coaster. You know, sometimes you're waiting for your goods to come from the manufacturer and you're just like, hey, God. Hey, God, when the box comes, before you open it, hey, God, I hope it's what I really asked for. So that hypertension is there too. You know, so it's a growing, growing, growing business, growing stages, trying to get the right team to work with. And so far, so good. I think we're in a pretty good place. I think that we are, we are, we're spreading out, like people are getting to know us more. I think that people trust the brand also because they trust me. And they trust the work that I do. And since it's, it's me, you know, it's kind of easy to relate it to me and know that and be sure that I'm not going to deliver less, mm. you know, so I'm, I'm happy mm. for that. But, you know, every day we're trying to improve and get better. Like I said, it's to be as good as the best of the best in the world. That's fantastic. So, so Bumi, what motivates you? These days, to be honest with you, these days... I, I recently turned 40. I turned 40 about a week ago. I literally just woke up and said, you know what? I choose joy. I choose strength. I choose success. I choose wealth. I just chose all those things. No extra special affirmation. No extra special words. I just chose all the things that I want for myself. I choose beauty. I choose <laughs> good health. I choose love. I choose friendship. You know, I just made a list of all the things that I choose. And, you know, every morning when I wake up, I choose those things all over again. And I just get on with my day because I'm more, I'm more demotivated than motivated these days. I'll I'll be honest with you because a lot of things are against you. So it's kind of hard to get out of bed and even do the things that you love because you get to work. There's no power. There's no this. There's no that the things that should make your job easier and more fun or for you to enjoy are non-existent because of the society that we live in. The hardship is a lot. So it can be very frustrating having to worry about the things that you really shouldn't have to worry about, especially as a creative person. You want to explore and expand your creativity, but then you are you are dealing with generator issues. You are dealing with you know things that just ruin your day. So it's just right now, my main motivation, my main motivation in this life is money. I really just want to be financially secure. I really do. I really, really do. I really want to live a life of wealth. You know, people, people don't use that word very often. They use things like rich, you know, and just having cash. I want wealth. You know, I want to be comfortable. I want Mm. to be happy. I want to be able to provide for my family, you know, just the real wealth, (laughs) you know, not wealth in Mm. bags and shoes. Those are lovely. We all want that, but the real meaning of wealth, you know, so that's, that's, that's the aim. Right. Yeah. 
I totally can relate. Um, something I wanted to ask earlier that came to mind was in terms of training. Um, I know that you train a lot of dancers and um, I wonder how, how the training goes and, and what career paths are available to, to young dancers today in Nigeria. Like if they come to you for training, what can they expect in their future going forward? So the good thing about the dancers today is they have social media. We didn't have social media when we started. So we didn't have the opportunity of promoting ourselves the way dancers promote themselves now. We didn't have the luxury of Instagram and even Facebook and stuff like that. Your next job was dependent on who saw you at your last job, you know. But now you can right. post your work, you can, you know, make reference to it and stuff like that. So these days, the dancers are very, very much more commercial. A lot of the dancers are not particularly training. They're not um, training. To, I did a lot more formal dances. They're not training. They're doing more commercial dances, which really just involve a lot of grab the steps, throwing the energy entertain, 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 you know, give that, that's really what it's about. I did more deep-rooted things. And it's kind of difficult now to find dancers with that kind of patience to learn things from scratch because, honestly, you can't really blame them. It's about the next paycheck. You know, it's about how to eat. And these days, a lot of these dancers are providing for their family on this income. So, but if, if a dancer were to train with me, you would, it's, Definitely not as rosy as it looks on Instagram. Definitely not. It's not as easy as it looks. You will be upset. You will be angry. You will give up. You will be tired. But it will be worth it because it is not fun and games at all. It's mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually draining. I will tell you that. But the rewards are always worth it. So I'm very strict. I'm very thorough with my training. I'm very, very, I, I like depth. I like storytelling. So it's not just about dancing. I want you to be able to tell stories with your movement, you know, stories with, with your craft. So it's a lot more than that for me. And, you know, I also want you to be independent and, you know, independent of yourself in terms of outside dance. What else can you do? What else, what other value can you bring to yourself? Because right now you've got to be able to be, you've got to be good at more than one thing to survive in this society mm -hmm. that we live in mm -hmm. now. Yeah. So what do you think is the future of um, choreography or dance and it, as, a, as a creative in, in Nigeria? What do, where do you see the industry going oh my compared God. to when you started 14 years ago? The industry is flying. I mean, look at Afrobeats today. Everybody wants to do Afrobeats. And I mean, in my opinion, Nigerians are one of the best dancers in the world. And I'll tell you why. Because we do not particularly have formal training. A lot of them are self-taught. A lot of them just learn by themselves or through their friends and stuff like that. But they are, and I mean in every kind of dance style, whether it's ballet, it's contemporary, it's hip hop, Nigerians are amazing. They are so talented, you know, and it's so commendable. I'm always so proud when I see Nigerian dancers that don't have any formal training, but can actually do what this other person that had all the formal training in the world can do by just being self-taught. Yes, you may be a little bit rough around the edges, but that's for obvious reasons. So dance is definitely taking center stage. It's not, it's not particularly appreciated in terms of, 
of music. And I'll say it because a lot of the songs that you hear today are made popular through the dances, you know, through the things that dancers do. And that is not really appreciated enough. That's one mm. of the things that we must actually work on. But, you know, nevertheless, I think that dance is, it's, it's, it's here to stay. It always has been. It's part of our life. It's part of our culture. I think that's an interesting thing you said, because with, with every new song, there's a new challenge. There's a new dance exactly. challenge. After music, basically, it's feel good. And, you know, that's really our thing. It's about feeling good. So these songs make you feel good and you just express yourself how the song makes you feel. And that's also part of the creativity. You know, they create this crazy movement from nothing. It's just from a feeling. It's just from that feel good. So the new trend could be waving your hand, waving your hand, waving your hand, and next and everybody's waving their hand, waving their hand, because it's just a feel good thing, you know. It's not something that they actually really, really think, 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 think about. We we are a very you know mm. how we are we we we, we it's it's just the way the Bedou is moving your body. Do you understand? So that that's where these things these trendy dances really come from. Yeah, I think I think it's lovely. I think it is. So just to wrap wrap up, I normally end with a, a reflection and some advice. So in terms of reflecting, you know, I, I wonder what you would say has been the most impactful thing about building your business in Nigeria. What would you say has been the most impactful thing? Knowing that I've actually added some value to our industry knowing that I have helped women heal, you know, those things are very important to me, especially helping women heal and helping women feel better about themselves. That is so important to me. Knowing that in my tiny way, I have been able to create a few jobs for a few people, a few artists, mm. a few creatives, open, you know, giving them a, a home or a space to express themselves. So that that is... That, 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 that for me is, is very, very important. So if you could give one piece of advice to other female entrepreneurs in Africa, what, what would that be? It's very simple. You know, don't hate on the people that tell you you can't do what you know you can. In fact, you love on them because they're the reasons why you become successful. You more or less owe your success to them because sometimes it's actually out of love. It's out of concern. It's out of just, I'm afraid for you. I don't know if this will work in Nigeria kind of situation. It could be. I'm not saying you don't have the ones that are just naysayers, but that shouldn't even be your focus. You know, wear your blinders like a horse that's racing. Focus on your focus. Try not to be distracted and fight. Every day you have to fight. Yes, there are some days that life is going to throw you. You're going to stay down. Like you're going to stay down and you're just like, I can't. But you have to fight. No one is going to do it for you. Nobody's going to market you. Nobody's going to push you. Nobody's going to do anything for you more than you will do for yourself. So mm. you are your number one fan, your number one influencer, your number one everything. So just keep at it. It may look dark. In fact, it may look dark more than it looks like there's light. But you have to, you have to just stay through it. You really do. Right. It's worth it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bumi. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed this. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review so we know how we're doing. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.